This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Redeemer Bible Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at RedeemerSoCal.org. This week's message by Pastor Jason Swanson, Keeping the Christ in Christmas, the Worship of the Christ. The original date of this message was the 24th of December, 2023. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas and Merry Christmas Eve to you all. Thank you all so much for joining us this morning. We've come for no other purpose but to give praise and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear of Him, to speak of Him. To sit, Lord willing, even in the quietness of your own heart and your own soul and rejoice in what Christmas means to us. We started a four-part series at the beginning of the month, Keeping the Christ in Christmas, and this is part four. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter two. I'm going to begin in verse one. I want to start with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We started our time off a month ago looking at the thread of the gospel and the promise of the Christ and seeing how the thread of the gospel goes all the way through the Old Testament speaking of the coming one speaking of the fact that God would be made man and he would come as the savior of the world then we saw the announcement of Christ as Pastor Shane took us to Luke chapter 1 and we saw God's grace extended to Mary in the promise of the coming one that would come as no other child ever born that would come through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God's grace extended to all of us through Mary. And last week we saw the birth of Christ. And the birth of Christ will lead us to what we're going to see this morning, the worship of the Christ. And my prayer is that this morning... By the Lord's wonderful grace, he would be able to place us all back in this time. That we would be able to see firsthand what transpires and that we would respond the way that Simeon and Anna respond. In thanksgiving and worship to our wonderful Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is so worthy of our praise and our adoration. So beginning in verse 1. Luke chapter 2. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, 
Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. And then continuing on in the, really the birth narrative or story of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's still an infant. He's still a little baby unable to look after himself. Having to be cuddled by his parents. Look at what happens next. And when eight days had passed, before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, was completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written of the law, in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to, his, to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a, for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that, that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. 
Let's pray for the preaching of God's word. Heavenly Father, we stop and we thank you for this time of year and the reminders that are all around us of your son's birth. Open our eyes to what your son's birth truly means and how wonderful it was and how wonderful it is that salvation has come. Speak to us now through your word as only you can. Set me aside, Lord, and use your word now through the power of your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as I said, this is the fourth part of our series here to remember to keep the Christ in Christmas. And since I'm the one that divvied out the verses, it was kind of my fault as I started off looking at the promise of the Christ rejoicing in God's wonderful goodness as we, as we see the thread of the gospel. What I mean by my fault is then Pastor Shane then gave us the announcement of the Christ preaching Luke 1, 26 to 38, and I was like, man, I wish I could preach that. And then Pastor Eric last week walked us through Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20, and the, and the, the birth of the Christ, and I was, I was again, man, I, I wish I could preach that. Why did I assign myself this one? And, and what am I doing? This is like Christmas Day, and, I, and now we're past Christmas. What's everybody going to think? And then my wife asked me yesterday, she said, Honey, what, what have you learned in this passage that you're going to preach on tomorrow? And I said, everything. I, I, I didn't know about Simeon and Anna. And I, and, I, and I won't have you all raise your hand, but I wonder if there are more. That perhaps this morning, this is the first time you're going to hear anyone preach this passage of Scripture. And let me tell you, if that's the case for you, this is going to be sweet. Not, not because I'm a masterful preacher, not at all, but because our God is a wonderful, gracious God whose word is powerful, living, and active. And as Spurgeon said, all I have to do is unleash it. So Lord willing, that is what will happen now. I pray that the Lord uses this. Because these two no-name folks that we're going to see this morning are pictures for each of us to look at and, and see God's wonderful grace in, alive and active in their lives. And that same grace, that same salvation that came to them has come. The question is whether or not you have seen and believed, worshipped as they worship, or you have not. And that's what Christmas is all about. Whether or not the world gets it or not, that is what we should get, particularly as we look at what is before us. So if you have your, your bulletin, if you don't, you can open up the app and the notes are, are, are on the app. I think we might have ran out, which is a cool thing, a good thing. If you want to take notes, first thing you're going to notice is 
I'm not going to skip right down to verse 25. It's important and significant for us to understand where everything starts before we get to the worship of the Christ. Yes, the Christ has been born. And now what we see in these first verses, 21 to 24, is that the Christ is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of believing in him. Why? Because he is unlike any other baby born. He is perfectly God, perfectly man, sinless man. And that's what we see. Notice Luke, he is a historian, so he gets into all the details. And as Pastor Shane walked us through in the beginning, revealing to us that that Luke likes to give us a, a chronology an order of things, giving us time stamps. And the first time stamp was six months, right? Six months into the pregnancy of Elizabeth, the coming of John the Baptist. And then last week, what we already have read, verse 6, Pastor Eric also gave us the time stamp that Luke brings to us. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. That doesn't mean that it was because at nine months and now is the time that she must deliver just as so many of our children were, were born to us at that nine-month period because, well, that's the way that it happens, Pastor Jason. No, there's so much more behind that than just a time stamp. Oh, it's time for her to have a baby because everybody has a baby at nine months. No, that's not always the case. No, this was God's providential timing. That of all the times in history that he would purpose, design, and will for his son, the son of God, to take on human form and flesh, it was right here, right then. During the pinnacle of the Roman Empire. Right here in this place. In Bethlehem, which places them close to Jerusalem, which places them close to the temple. All of that is significant for what we're going to see this morning. And then what do we see? Look at verse 21. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Jesus, just like every other Jewish male born, what happens? He's circumcised. And at this point, you might think, well, then Jesus is just like every other male ever born in the history of mankind. No, he is not. He is perfectly God. He came into the world like no other, not through natural relations, but through the power of the Holy Spirit conceiving him, putting him into the womb of Mary. Can any of us truly understand that? No, it's a miracle. Makes him sinless. That isn't where he started. He has forever existed as the Son of God. This is amazing. And he places himself in man's hands. Think about it. And and allows himself to be circumcised as a little baby. But what is of utmost significance is what happens when someone is circumcised. This is when they give that particular child a name. Not before then, at this time. And notice the emphasis on the name. We've seen this throughout the Gospel of Luke. This is significant. 
If we were to go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we would see this as well. When the angel comes to Joseph, what does he say? He says, hey, you can name him whatever you want, but I'd suggest Jesus. No, he says, you will call him Jesus because he's come to save people from what? From sin. And then he says that the same thing to Mary in 131. What are you going to call him? No, he doesn't ask. It's a command. You will call him Jesus. You will name him Jesus. And then we see it repeated here. Why? Because it's like John in his name, and Zachariah and Elizabeth, and how the, the name wasn't common for them and so everybody would push back on it. Well, that might be the case, but no. Was it to show their obedience? Well, it does show their obedience, but that's not why it's being emphasized, why it is being reiterated and given to us again and again and again. You can't come away from this without hearing the name what? Jesus. But you and I don't get it because we're not Jewish. If we were there that day, and I I want us all to picture ourselves during that circumcision. Okay, forget the circumcision that's done. Now it's time for them to hold this baby up, and they're going to name him. And they name him Jesus. Well, if you were Jewish, you wouldn't hear Jesus. You'd hear Joshua. And then your mind would just go right to this. Savior, salvation, deliverer, helper. We, We don't live in a culture where names mean anything. One of my good friends in our tribe in the village of Siawi, his name's Yaniwi. Became one of the deacons in our church. Do you know what Yaniwi means? It means dirty water. When everybody says his name, there's a little snicker. Okay, when anybody would say Jesus' name, there's no snicker. It's all deliverance, salvation. That's what we're supposed to walk away from. That's what they would have been hearing it would have been shouting to them why are you naming him that name it doesn't make any sense unless he indeed is the savior think about how popular the name jesus is even today but there's only been one jesus and he is not common like his name he is altogether uncommon he is the only savior Do you believe that Jesus is the only one who can save you? That's that's the point. That's what all of this is pointing to. That Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. That's what Christmas is all about for those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Christmas means so much. This is why we enjoy it, why we love it so much. Because it's wrapped up in so much more than the presence that we share with one another. It's wrapped up in the gift that God shared with us and sent to this world. But notice it, it's not just that they came to the temple in order to circumcise him. Because that was way before this. Now they come to the temple in order to, to, to do two things. One, they come in order for Mary to receive purification. What that means is because she just had a baby, she is now unclean. So she needs to go to the temple. And she needs to offer sacrifice that would then pay for her to then be cleansed. 
so that she could then worship in the temple. Up to that point, she wasn't able to go to the temple. And so that is why they come, but they didn't need to bring Jesus. The other reason why they come is to dedicate Jesus, but that isn't something that needed to be done at the temple. Why would they come in order to dedicate Jesus and bring him if they didn't have to? All that extra bother, it's miles away. Not an easy journey, especially with a new little newborn who's only 40 days old at this point. They, they brought him because they recognized that he is not really theirs. That he is a gift given to them from God the Father. And so they are coming in order to give him to the Lord. But even in this, this is the norm. This is common. This is what every Jewish family would have done back then with their firstborn son. Notice what it says. As it is written in the law of the Lord, verse 23, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. That's another way of saying that every firstborn son that is Jewish must be dedicated to the Lord. You didn't have to go to the temple to do that. Really what you would do it ended up being you'd give some shekels and, and that was the way that you kind of ransomed your son, giving him to the Lord. Do you know where this originates? Do you know where all of this starts? This starts back in Exodus chapter 13, verse 2 where God says that the firstborn son of man and beast should be dedicated to him and then belong to him. Why? Well, if you, if you know the word, then you know that Exodus is when, at this point, when the nation of Israel were slaves in Egypt. And God had done all these miraculous signs before them, but still Pharaoh would not let God's people go, Right? until the very last miracle. And what was that? That was where God sends the destroyer angel. And that destroyer angel kills every one of the firstborn sons of the Egyptians. But he doesn't kill the firstborn sons of the Jews. Why? Because they had followed God's instruction. And each of them had killed a lamb. Taken its blood, put it in a bowl. Painted that blood over the doorposts of their homes. And then what would happen? When the destroyer angel came, he passed over each of their homes. And then God said, I don't ever want you to forget my deliverance of your firstborn sons back then, so I'm going to have you do this every time you guys have a firstborn son. And so the reality is that as Joseph and Mary, they go and they dedicate Jesus, what is the picture going through their minds? It's not the picture that you and I have. The picture they have going through their minds is going back to Egypt. It's going back to the nation of Israel. It's going back to God delivering them. And that destroyer angel passing over. It's going back to what? It's going back to the salvation of Israel. 
God removing them from Egypt and taking them to the promised land. All of that is pictured in what they are doing with this little baby Jesus. It's a picture of salvation. It's a picture of deliverance. But think about who it is that they are dedicating. God himself. The son of God. Who in John is called what? The lamb of God. Who has come to do what? To take the sins of the world upon himself. He's also called the only begotten son of God. Showing the relationship that he has with God the Father. And yet think of the magnitude of of what is presented to us. You see, all of these firstborn sons of the nation of Israel, of the Jews, they were delivered. This destroyer angel went right over them, passed over each of their homes, leaving their children, their firstborn sons intact. That is not what is going to happen with God's son. The wrath of God is not going to pass over him. It is going to be placed upon him. The very wrath of God. All of this is pictured even before we get to Simeon. This is supposed to scream out to us, salvation comes through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Do you believe that? And all of that reveals to us, too, that the Lord Jesus Christ, unlike anyone, should receive our worship. He's the only one worthy of it. So this salvation has come. And what is the response? What should be our response? This is where we... Next, see Simeon and Anna presented to us. What is the first thing God wants to see us through the eyes of Luke after the birth of Jesus and the response of Mary and the shepherds? It's the very first thing, that this baby is like no other. Yes, he goes through everything just like everyone else, but he is not like any other baby. And we see this even in the way that some witnesses now respond to him. Two witnesses in particular who worship the Christ in their very own unique ways. And some have called them the the first two eyewitness testimonies that Jesus Christ is indeed the Christ. And these two would be experts in that account as we're going to dig in and we see. And the first is Simeon. And what is his worship like? His worship is a waiting worship. A waiting worship. Now, when I, when I say waiting, perhaps you're like me. Do you enjoy waiting? Do you enjoy waiting at the Costco gas pump line? And you have to park all the way out in the back and then follow everybody in? Do you enjoy waiting in traffic? No. Do you enjoy even waiting for presents? That you wish you could open them all today? Tonight? Or that your kids go last and you go first. Okay, maybe it's just me. And I'm revealing a whole bunch of my selfishness. But, but the reality is we don't like to wait. But the life of Simeon was a life of waiting. But it wasn't just waiting, humdrum, looking around. It was waiting worship. That's what characterizes his life. 
Oh man, I want it to be said of me that I'm a man like Simeon. That I waited patiently on the Lord and all that he has for me. Notice what we hear of this man, Simeon. And both the account of Simeon and the account of Anna, this is it. This is all that we have in Scripture. Nothing told after this, nothing told before this. This is all that we get. And yet they are a perfect picture of true saving faith, of the redeemed, of those who hope in the Lord and wait in Him and Him alone. And so it says in verse 25, And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Even his name is significant because his name means God has heard. God has heard. He's heard the cries of his people, but even further than that, he's heard the cry of all humanity lost and dead in our sin. Even before sin entered, God had already planned the plan of salvation before the creation, before Adam and Eve fall. Long before any of us heard of Jesus, the plan was already done. God has heard. And notice what we're told about Simeon. That he was righteous and devout. Devout. You could have translated that, and I think it might even be in the ESV, pious. It, it means Cautious. And I believe that when we're talking about someone like Simeon, he's cautious about two things. One, he's cautious about the Word of God and how he handles the Word of God. How he understands the Word of God. How he studies the Word of God. How he pours into the Word of God. How he doesn't want to misinterpret the Word of God. And how he wants to spend time in the Word of God and let the Word of God inform him. Are you like that? Second, he was cautious about how he applies the word of God to his heart and to his life. That he might walk in obedience. I wonder for him if there's an idea in this that he's waiting for the Savior. Do you know how many false saviors came? How many false Christs came? Many. And he had to be discerning, so he had to look to the Lord. But I think what is even more significant than him being devout, being pious, being cautious is the fact that God calls him righteous. Because there's only one way to be righteous, and it's not by your good deeds. It's not by anything that you have done, actually. There's only one way for someone to be declared righteous. And that doesn't matter whether we're talking about the Old Testament in the times of Abraham and Moses, or we're talking about today in the church age in the New Testament. There's only one way. And how is that? By grace through faith alone. And so what this is depicting is that Simeon was a man who took God's word as being true and said, I believe it. And I'm trusting in whatever you say to happen. Just as Abram and Abraham trusted God and was credited as righteous. So in that, we could look at Simeon really as the first real believer that we know of in the Lord Jesus Christ as he's revealed to him. Amazing. And yet for all that, notice the emphasis also placed on the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we all need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to get saved in order to be saved, that the Holy Spirit removes the 
the veil from our eyes, the blackness of our sin so that we can't see. He removes the earplugs of sin that keeps us from hearing the gospel. Notice what it says about the Holy Spirit and his relationship with Simeon. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, verse 25. And it had revealed to him had been revealed to him, verse 26, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We're not told how the Holy Spirit revealed this to Simeon. All we're told is that the Holy Spirit told Simeon, hey, before you die, you are going to see the Christ. You are going to see the Messiah. You are going to see the Deliverer. And notice what we're told about Simeon too and what he was looking for, what he was waiting for, the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? That's another way to say he's waiting for the Messiah to come. He's waiting for the Savior. We're going to see the same thing from Anna as we see the the last little chunk in verse 38 and how Anna responds once she sees Jesus the birth of Jesus and the baby there, she begins to speak of him to to all those who are what? Looking for the redemption of Israel. That's the same phrase interpreted just a little bit different, translated a little bit different. It means that they were both waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for the Christ to come. And so the Holy Spirit is, is active. Notice he's with Simeon, not in Simeon, as he is in us. And the Holy Spirit is the one that revealed this to Simeon, that before he would die, he would see the Christ. Now, I would take this and run all the wrong way with this. Why? Because, well, now I'd have assurance. Oh, I'd tell my wife, hey, don't worry about me jumping off that great big jump snowboarding or taking these great big waves, because you know what? I haven't seen the Lord yet. So I can't die. I'm sure that isn't what Simeon's take was. Instead, he's faithful. It's understood that he goes to the temple. Why? Because he's waiting for God's fulfillment. He believes it's going to happen. And yet we know that he's, what? That he's old. And he's been waiting. And he's been waiting. And yet in all of his waiting, he continues to worship. How about you? What does your waitful expectation and waiting worship look like? Do you even have a waiting worship? Do you recognize that Jesus Christ is coming again? There is going to be a second advent. I'm going to preach on this next week. Jesus is coming back. There's two phases to his second coming. First, he's going to come and take his church. We're going to meet him in the air. He won't touch ground on the earth at that time and then after that he's coming and this time he will touch the ground and he will start his millennial kingdom he will reign on this earth the question is are you ready for him to come are you waiting for his return are you hopeful are you expecting are you doing everything you can to not be ashamed at his appearing just as it says in 1 John 1, 28, now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. 
Are you waiting for him with a hopeful worship in all that you do? And then notice what happens. If the Spirit hadn't been the one leading him into the temple, who knows how long it would have taken him to find Christ. Because there's thousands of people at the, at the temple, at the court of women, where all families would be, where Jesus would be with, with Joseph and Mary. And yet, because the Spirit is leading him, he leads them right to baby Jesus. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, verse 27, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms. So he's watching them do this dedication to the Lord of baby Jesus, and he can't stop but to go up and to, and to take this baby. Why? Because are you kidding me? He's been waiting for years and years and years, and there's no way you're going to stop, Simeon. Are you like that? Is that how excited you are about celebrating Christmas? That this wonderful gift has come. And so then he takes the baby Jesus and he blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. And now my life is done. That's what he's saying. According to your word. And then notice what he says For my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation there is singular. There's not many ways to God. It's not through Islam. It's not through Confucius. It's not through all these other ways. There's only one way to the Father. There's only one way to have your sins forgiven. That is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why Simeon says, I've seen your salvation. It belongs to no other but to God himself, and there's only one way of salvation. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what boggles my mind about this? Do you know what makes his worship so uncommon, so different than all of us? It says that he's seen your salvation, but it's what he hasn't seen that boggles my mind. All he's seen is this 40-day-old baby in his hands. He hasn't seen this 40-day-old baby grow up yet and do his first miracle, changing water into wine. He hasn't seen this baby grow up and, and expound Scripture like no one else when he's 12 years old in the temple. He hasn't seen this baby grow up and, and give sight to a man born blind, which had never happened before. He hadn't seen this baby grow up and raise Lazarus from the dead with just words. He hadn't seen this baby die upon the cross and been raised back from the dead. He, you know what he says? He says, I don't need any of that. I believe Tim. He is the one. I don't have to be an eyewitness of anything more than this, of, of all that he will do. I don't have to see him die on the cross. I don't have to see him raised from the dead or ascend on high to sit at the Father's right hand. I've seen all that I need to see. I'm ready now for my life to end. It can't get any better than this. So let me die in peace. This is what I've lived for. Thank you. All he needed was one glimpse of Jesus as a baby. Think about that. One holding of Jesus. And that was enough to convince him that salvation had come and was here before him. 
my question for you is, have you seen enough? What are you waiting for if you still have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Scripture is clear. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Just as we read in John 14, 6. There is no other way to have your sins forgiven and to enjoy heaven and all of eternity with God and with those of us that have believed unless you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that from Simeon and all that he says and all that he does in spite of not seeing Jesus grow up. He's convinced that this is like no other baby. And Jesus Christ is like no other baby. He's God. Notice what also he says, because the Holy Spirit is guiding him in all of this, and so he's able to let them know that through this baby, through Jesus Christ, that there is going to be division. Behold, this child, verse 34, is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. Either you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will rise to heaven, or Jesus Christ is going to be a stumbling block for you. And you will fall. You will fall to the depths of hell and you will spend all of eternity in hell. That is what Simeon is saying. That is what God is saying through Simeon. And then he goes on and he says something even crazier to Mary. Can you imagine hearing this? Verse 35, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Mary, you yourself, you're going to see something happen to your son that's going to feel like a, a, a great big sword pierced your heart. But no, it's not your heart. It's actually going to be piercing your son's side. That's the word for sword used here. Could be a spear, such as the one that the centurion uses to pierced Jesus' side, and you know who's there watching? His mom. And yet as difficult as that is, there's got to be this pulling on both sides, recognizing that he is God, and that he must die, and yet he is her son. So first we see in Simeon this proper response of seeing and believing Jesus Christ to be God's son, to be the savior of the world. And that proper response is worship. The next response that we see is an animal. Close our time with this. and She is equally inspiring, challenging, and sort of mysterious as nothing else has told us about her. And that is a devoted worship. A devoted worship. Look at Anna. And there is a prophetess. That, that just means she's a teacher of the word. That does not mean that that is God's design, that women would all be teachers over men. We know that from Timothy. But in this case, she taught. And I believe in this case, you could see it's, she tells people about Jesus, which all ladies should do. And there is a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. Let me, let me help you with a little bit of math. 
It's, it's known that a Jewish girl would get married between the ages of 13 and 14. So to make rounding off easier, let's assume that she's 13. She's married for how many years before her husband dies? Seven. 13 plus seven is 20. So she's 20 years old when her husband dies and she becomes a widow. And then she moves into the temple and she lives in the temple and she serves the temple night and day with fasting and prayer to the age of 84. 84 minus 20 is 64. Some commentators believe that this actually means that she served in the temple for 84 years, which would have made her 104. In any case, how many of us can say that we've prayed longer than one hour a day? She has been doing this for at least 64 years, could be 84 years. There is no one better except for maybe Simeon who was told by the Lord that the Messiah is coming that would be able to know about the Messiah, been praying for the Messiah than Anna. If you're going to call a character witness in, in court, they have to be an eyewitness to have really any kind of credibility as well as some sort of knowledge. She, she's got a knowledge of walking with God and praying to our Heavenly Father for some 64, maybe 84 years. And not just praying, but fasting, dedicating herself to the Lord that he would reveal things to her. And notice what's mentioned about her at the end. This is what I believe ties her in with Simeon. She, like him, was looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She was waiting for the Messiah. And notice how good and gracious God is. She's old She's been living all these years in the temple. We don't even know what exactly that means. But she's serving him there. And at that very moment, the moment when Simeon picks up baby Jesus, we don't know if, if Simeon and Anna know each other. I would say that they did. She's been at the temple for so many years, and he's been coming to the temple for so many years. And they have this in common, which isn't a common trait for every Jew, that they were waiting for the Messiah. And who does she go and speak to she speaks to those that are waiting for the redemption of jerusalem could it be that simeon saw her and he's like and she's like yes can you imagine the two of them talking after this that is the case notice her two responses when by god's grace she sees the child one, she's full of thanksgiving. Why? Because she has been waiting for this for a very long time. She's been praying for this for a very long time. Are you filled with thanksgiving? For what this season represents, for who we celebrate on this Christmas Eve, for who we will celebrate tomorrow during Christmas Day. What's really interesting is that the verbs that are used, the giving thanks and then continued to speak, those are verbs that are in a tense that means it continues on and on and on. It's not just a one-day occurrence for Anna. This is the characteristic of her life. So if Simeon was a man who had a waiting worship that said, okay, now I can die in peace, 
Anna's worship is, okay, so now I can live to tell. Even at the age that she's at, man, how challenging. She's 104 years old and she says, okay, open the doors. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I just saw him. How many of us are like that? They taught me in seminary to always look at the verbs and to see if there's something special about verbs. So I thought, well, speak has got to be one of those special, cool verbs that I'll be able to come and share with you all and it'll just wow all of you. Do you know what speak means? It means speak. It's common speech. And I'm like, really, Lord? That's, that's, that's all you got? And he's like, well, what are you going to do tomorrow with your family? You're just going to talk. You're, you're going to give common speech. It's, it's not the verb, Jason. It's who she's talking about. It's who she's most excited about. It's who she wants to talk about. And it's all about Jesus and the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. What a challenge for us all as we look at the two of them. And we see Simeon in this waiting worship. Are you eagerly expecting for the Lord to come? Are you eagerly anticipating the Lord's return? And like Anna, are you committed to telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ and to sharing him with everyone that you come in contact with. And let, let me make this very practical. Th- this evening when you guys gather with your family, with friends, there is an opportunity for you to speak of Jesus. Tomorrow, I, d- I don't know what you've done in the past if you haven't done this with your family. Whip open the book of Luke. Share God's story the story of Jesus Christ and his birth and speak of him with every opportunity that you have. And ask the Lord to give you boldness in that. You know, as I think of the two of these guys who I really didn't know before I began this study, I've been praying all week, Lord, make me more like Simeon. Make me more faithful. Make me more expectant. Make me more patient in waiting for you, in obedience before you. Oh, and make me like Anna. Make me faithful. Make me a man of prayer. That it's not just what I do before we eat or periodically here and there as as I'm stressed out with, man, I still don't have an outline and it's Wednesday and I'm preaching on Sunday. No, make it who I am. How about fasting? Oh, no, Pastor Jason, that's for other people. No? Fasting is an opportunity for us to seek the Lord, right? That as you fast and your stomach's going crazy, you're not supposed to think about food. You're supposed to think about the Lord and bring everything before him. What a sweet opportunity to seek the Lord in all sorts of things that he might reveal to you how you might walk before him and something that you might, go in, you might have going on. Let me, let me pray for us as we close our time. 
Heavenly Father, we stop and we thank you so much for your word. You're all sufficient, all powerful, living and active, inerrant, inspired, wonderful word. Thank you for continuing on in Luke chapter 2 and learning more of Simeon and Anna. Lord, I, I can't wait to meet them in glory and ask them how this really looked and what their lives were like and what Anna's life was like after this particular day and how long it took you to bring Simeon with you after he held your son in his hands. We rejoice in your goodness for sending your son who is our salvation. I pray that if anyone here has not believed in your son, repented, turned from their sins and trusting themselves in their own goodness and their own works and their own actions. Turn from that and turn to believing in your son and his death on the cross as the only way for them to have their sins forgiven. That you might grant them faith in you, repentance this morning that they might join us forever in heaven with you. Continue to go before us as we respond in song. Thank you for giving us the ability to sing songs and praise to you, giving us words that are theologically sound, based upon your word. We rejoice in your son, and we thank you for him and all that he means to us. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ risen Lord and Savior that we pray. Amen.